So this morning, I'm going to be speaking, um, you know, I've been speaking about the parables of Jesus over the past number of weeks, give and take a few hiatuses. And um, as we begin to get into the parables of Jesus in the end of chapter 25 of Matthew, um, I realize that there's some basics that we need to understand before we get into that parable because they're talking, the parables are talking about the end times. And um, yes, we've been going through an end time study in our Wednesday night Bible study for the past number of weeks. And um, so I'm not duplicating at all what we've been studying on Wednesday nights. But I believe what I'm going to speak about today and maybe for the next few weeks are kind of the basics of our Christian faith. This is kind of like learning the, the blocking and tackling, if you will, of the game. And, um, you know, we, we can't really learn uh, the the, the or the base, or go beyond the basics until we understand the basics and fundamentals, so we don't get confused along the way, to the best of our ability. So I'm going to be speaking today on the rapture, and also on the second coming, and I want to understand the differences between them, and and why is there a rapture and why is there a second coming, and I know that these are somewhat difficult to understand. Maybe maybe we don't talk about them very much, but. I'm trying to understand God's word and be able to explain it in a way that, that helps us understand for the, the fact that, Larry, could I have my slides, please? If I, if I could understand the fact that God has a plan for our lives. He has a plan to redeem us and restore us and restore all of creation along with mankind. And we need to be anticipating it. Pastor Rippey did a nice job setting it up. We need to have a hunger for the return of the Lord. We need to have a desire to see him face to face. And maybe sometimes the thing that blocks our desire is the fact that we love a world, we love this world a little bit too much. And there's nothing wrong with this world. I'm not saying it's negative and I don't want to put a negative connotation on it at all. I'm not trying to say that anything fleshly is evil and spiritual is good. I'm not saying that at all. God loves this world. He created this world. And so there's nothing wrong with enjoying this world, but we need to make sure that we don't put our love for the world over our love for the creator of the world and the soon coming king. So we need to understand that God understands that he has a plan for us. And, you know, I think that we can understand our faith better when we understand the basics of it. And knowing that God has a plan for us, I think, really helps it. In fact, in Romans um, Paul spe- speaks this way about the plan that God has for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, it says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation, listen, all creation, not just parts of creation, all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. We don't think of that often, do we? That creation is concerned about who God is. But God creates creation in a unique way that I believe it has a way to reflect the glory of God. If we're looking for that, we'll see it, right? Verse 20, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. What's the curse? Sin. What Adam and Eve gave up in the garden cursed God's creation. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. You know, we weren't created to die, and neither was creation. I, I, God didn't have a plan. Didn't have a, his plan for creation was to thrive and to continue to live. And he didn't have a plan for dying and decaying things. That wasn't his plan. Verse 22 For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. That's what Pastor Rip was talking about. We have that hunger, that longing. Says we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Are you ready for that? Are you hungry for that? Yeah, me too. So today I 
I want to begin a short series here that will discuss the, the basics of our belief when it comes to the second return of Christ. And I think that some of these messages aren't spoken of a lot in many churches. And maybe because it's a little bit upsetting to talk about the end of time. I don't think it's a natural thing for us to want to consider the fact that time may end in our generation. I think we have no problem thinking it might end later, like in 2050. (laughs) But I don't think we like to think the fact that it could end in 2022. I think it makes us a little bit nervous. And I think for that reason, I think many pastors shy away from actually teaching about the basics of what it is to experience the rapture and the second coming. And that's what we want to talk about. I think that will help us um, so that we don't misplace our teaching. And I think I want to just preface it this way. I think it's very important that we carefully discern the word of God when things aren't clearly obvious in the word of God. You know, I don't know why God gives us leeway in some situations. But he does. You know, he, he could spell it out really a much more clear, maybe. It would help us all. But I think what he's doing is that I think he's wanting us to depend upon the Holy Spirit to help us understand what he wrote like he gave the writers of the word the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write it, I think he's giving us the same level of Holy Spirit inspiration to discern it and try to understand it. So when we teach things like this, because what I'm going to teach is maybe controversial to some when it comes to the rapture and the timing of the rapture, but listen, 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 I'm not teaching it to argue I'm not teaching it to make a point that I'm right and somebody else is wrong. I think we have to be very careful here that when we teach this way, that we don't teach arrogantly and we don't teach like I have all the answers and that I have the only answer. But I do believe that we need to have a belief. And I don't have a problem having a belief, understanding that my belief may differ with somebody else's belief. And unless it's a moral truth of God's word, I think we can have disagreements and we can still be friends. I think we can still be Christian brothers and sisters and and maybe disagree on some things. We can agree to disagree on some of the things that are maybe not so obvious in God's word. So as I go through this teaching, we have a belief in the assemblies of God, and I do personally as well, in when I believe the rapture is going to happen. And you may not share that belief. There are different beliefs. There is a pre-trib rapture, there is a mid-trib rapture, there is a post-trib rapture, and there's a pre-wrath rapture. And if you go through the Bible, I think there are, there are teachings of the word that can probably justify maybe, some of all, or maybe all of them to some degree. But we believe that the word is more solidly based on the fact that it's a pre-wrath or a pre-trib rapture. So I'm coming from a pre-trib rapture discussion today. But again, if you have a different belief, um, I'm not here to argue. Okay? We okay with that? (laughs) All right, good. That makes me a little less nervous. Thank you. So I, I think that we need to believe that, I think we all believe that Jesus is coming back sometime. He's coming back, right? So when we take at the big picture viewpoint, we can see this as maybe one big event. And it's just referred to as the second coming or the return of Christ. But as we study further, I think that we can begin to see this to be, this return of Christ is really broken down into two separate events. That's broken down to be the rapture of the church and then also the second coming of Christ. So I want to talk about what these mean And as we discuss the rapture and the second coming of Christ, these are two separate and distinct events. They're not the same thing. And it's important, I believe, that we understand that. Because the rapture and the second coming of Christ are often confused. Sometimes it's difficult to determine whether a scripture in the Bible is referring to the rapture or the second coming. 
So we have to know that we have to know the context of the of the scripture. Is it referring to the the, the taking away of the church, or is it referred to the second coming of Christ? So when we study these things, we um, will help us to better understand the prophet, the prophets, and the, and the prophecies that are given to us. So I want to talk about the them in, in, as, independent, as independent and specifically separate events. So a brief summary of these up front, I think, will help us as we work through this, okay? So the rapture of the church is when Jesus Christ returns to remove the church. And the church is who? All those that truly believe in Christ. All those that have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That will be the church, the bride of Christ, and that will be removed from the earth. The Bible says, and we're going to get into the details of this, but believers who have died first already that are passed away or in the grave, that they will be resurrected. And along with those believers that are still alive, will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air, in the clouds. The rapture is an event that Jesus doesn't touch earth. He waits in the clouds for that instantaneous instant that we come and meet him. This will occur in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The rapture is a time of blessing and a time of reward for the church. And it begins a time of judgment for evil. It begins a time of judgment for those left on the earth. The rapture is also imminent. Imminent means that it can happen at any time. There are no signs required for the rapture to happen. It can happen now. The early church was expecting the rapture to happen in their time. That's the difference, and we're going to talk about the second coming. Whereas the second coming is when Jesus returns to the earth to defeat the Antichrist and the evil and to establish his millennial or a thousand-year reign on earth. The second coming, Jesus actually comes back and he touches down on earth. His feet actually touch earth. And the second coming culminates this seven-year tribulation period of judgment and of, of the evil and the destruction of Satan, the Antichrist, and all the evil that followed him. The second coming has signs before it that have to be, be, have to be fulfilled before the second coming can occur. Some of these signs are, like, are, are this. The Antichrist, for example, has to become known. There's a seven-year peace covenant that will be signed between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel that will begin the tribulation period. There's going to be a, a rebuilt temple. A Jewish temple will, will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount in Israel, in Jerusalem. And the Jewish nation, the Jewish religion people will actually go back and reinstitute animal sacrifice. They will go back to Old Testament teachings and they will reinstitute animal sacrifice in the temple. It's hard for us to comprehend the fact that they're going to be, they're going to be sacrificing sheep and animals and doves and cows and things of this nature. And they're going to be doing it. And here's the thing. They're already getting trained for it. Through DNA, they have figured out who is the um, priesthood lineage that will be the priests. They're already training them how to do animal sacrifice. They're already training them in Old Testament um, the procedures. They're getting all of the equipment ready for the temple. They're getting all of the um, vessels required for the sacrifices. They're already, it's already in process. They're in the process of um, raising a red heifer. And the red heifer is important because until they get a red heifer, that is sacrifice, and that is used to cleanse all of the sacraments of the temple. That would be would be beginning the the the, the animal sacrifice time, and so there, this is already happening. It's in place. It's already working. Also, in midway through the tribulation, the Antichrist will sit in the temple, and that is called the abomination of desolation, where he actually declares himself to be God, and he will put an end at that time, to the sacrifices going on in the temple, and he will declare himself as God. And that begins the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. 
There will be great signs in the stars and the moon and the sun in the heavens. There's going to be a lot of warning, a lot of signs that the second coming is coming. In fact, in fact, you, if you were to really pay attention, if you're here on earth, when they sign the seven-year covenant, mark your calendar seven years. And within a seven-year period, at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus is coming back. That's how specific the prophecies are. So we need to understand these things. Both of these things we believe in, and yet they can be confusing if we don't have a good understanding of their differences. So first of all, let's talk about the rapture. What is the rapture? The rapture is the 13th of our 16 fundamental beliefs of the assemblies of God. And it says this, the the rapture is the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in Christ and their translation together with those who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord is the imminent and blessed hope of the church. It's the hope that we have to see Jesus face to face. It's a blessed hope. So to help us understand how this is going to happen, I think if we were to look and see how did Jesus leave this earth? How did he leave this earth after his ministry, after his death and resurrection, after he came back and spent time uh, with his disciples and those on earth? How did he leave? Well, we're told that in Acts chapter 1. But let me just describe the scene here. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's giving them last-minute instructions to go to Jerusalem and to wait for him, to wait on the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will pour out in the day of Pentecost, and then they are to be witnesses to all the world, Judea and Samaria, and all the world thereafter. And after Jesus says these things, he then ascends into heaven in a cloud. And this is what how this is recorded in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, After he said these things, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken you from, taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So that is a good model of how Jesus is going to come back. What do you think it must have been like for the disciples? Here they are standing, listening to their teacher, their rabbi, their closest friend, and all of a sudden he just starts to ascend, and he goes up in the clouds. Now, he goes up a lot slower than he's going to come back, but the fact of the matter is they witnessed him rise up and, and be hidden in the clouds, and then these two angels come and stand and talk to him. It had to be a pretty amazing time in their life. Paul describes this coming back a little bit different. First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 15, Paul says this. He says, according to the Lord's word, We tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. I think it's time to define a few terms here, right? Some of us have problems with the word rapture because the word rapture is never, never um, written in the Bible. It's not an English word written in the Bible. So where does it come from? If you just looked at that verse, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, this is where the word rapture comes from. The term caught up, in the Greek is harpazo. That's in the Greek. But in the Latin, it is rapio or raptu. And this is where we get the term rapture from the Latin word. And it may not have been spoken about specifically, but it's certainly alluded to in the fact that the church is caught up or taken up or snatched up from the world. So that's where the rapture, that's where the word comes from, and that's what it means, and that's what the concept is. And I find it interesting as well that the doctrine of the rapture was not taught in the Old Testament. It's a New Testament theology. 
Maybe that's why Paul calls it a mystery. He calls it a mystery because I, it really wasn't brought up in the Old Testament. The Lord has taught him, and, and through Jesus' teaching in the New Testament era, was when the rapture and the second coming was really discussed. And I think that it could be, that maybe is why Paul calls it a, a, a mystery, but I think also that it is such a supernatural event that it's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our ability to properly describe it. So again, I think that's why Paul calls it a mystery. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 50, here's another declaration of what we're talking about. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, he says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe, clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. The rapture will be an instantaneous transformation of our bodies that will fit us for eternity. We are perishable bodies right now but before we can go to heaven we must have imperishable bodies or eternal bodies so when the rapture occurs we will be going about our normal everyday business nothing will be unusual for us we're going to talk about later what it means to be as in the days of noah but until we understand this i really can't get into that so that's going to be another message later about really what were the days of Noah like. All that's important right now is I want you to understand that there is nothing that is going to pre-warn us that the rapture is going to happen. <laughs> I remember when I was 12 years old, we went up to, a bunch of guys went up to Sault Ste. Marie to the Sioux 500 snowmobile race. And so we're up there with a bunch of guys and um, a bunch of guys from church. And something happened. You know, 12-year-old boys, we get kind of weird thoughts, you know. Um, and, <laughs> and so we're up there with this group of guys, and I got separated from the group. And I don't know why I got this thought, but the thought came to my mind, the rapture happened, and I'm left behind. And, you know, and I panicked until I found my dad. Now, if you know my dad, maybe my dad was left behind too. I'm not sure. But anyway, <laughs> but until I found the pastor, let me think of it that way. But until I found people, I thought for sure I had missed it. And, uh, you know, that's just boys. That's just the way we are. I get it. But it's going to be that way, though, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, what is a twinkling of an eye? The twinkling of an eye is faster then the eye can blink. I mean, it's not just the blink. What it really means, it's how fast a ray of light is refracted from the eye. It's that glint that you get in the eye. It's that fraction of light where it hits your eye, reflects off, and you, you know what I'm talking about. You get to sparkle in somebody's eye. That's what he's talking about. In fact, it was calculated to be one eleventh, one hundredth of a second. Eleven one-hundredths of a second is how fast light will refract from the eye because we know the speed of light, 136,000 miles per second. We know what the speed of light is, and they can calculate it, what that twinkle is. That's what the rapture is going to happen that quickly. It's not gonna be, you're not going to hear a trumpet and then say, okay, God, forgive me. No, it's going to be so quick. You, it's faster than the blink of an eye. It's that, it's that quick. That's why it's a mystery, right? And we are changed from our mortal bodies into immortal bodies, and we will be transported instantaneously from this world to the next. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will come down from the heaven with a loud command, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. All this happens. After that, we who are still alive and left in the will be caught up with them in the clouds. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. See, all that stuff happens in 11 one-hundredths of a second. 
That's pretty amazing. That's pretty fast. That's why we believe that the rapture will be a silent event. It will be a secret event. The world will not hear the trumpet. If you can't calculate it, if you can't see it, you won't hear it. So the world won't know the rapture has happened until they see clothes laying on chairs or witness driverless cars driving down the street out of control or planes or trains or automobiles or boats or whatever. All of a sudden, the world will be empty of all believers and that's going to cause a little chaos. Can you see why Paul calls this a mystery? Yeah. So what will our eternal bodies be like? We're going to be changed instantaneously from this body to an eternal body. We don't know exactly what that's like, but we're given some information in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Jesus says, dear friends, or John says, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. You see, when Jesus died on the cross and was put in a tomb for three days and he rose again, he didn't rise again as a zombie in a beaten-up fleshly body. No, he rose again in his heavenly body, in his eternal body. What was that like? Well, we learned from various scriptures that Jesus could be seen and recognized. They knew who he was. They could recognize his face. He was restored from a beaten, unrecognizable, mutilated body into one that is healed, perfectly healthy. Yet he had the scars to prove his death, right? Because he said, Timothy or uh, Thomas, put your hand in my side. So he had the scars. You could see the nail scars in his hands. You know, it's an interesting point. I don't think, this is my speculation, I don't think we will have scars in heaven. But I think Jesus will. And I think we'll see his scars for all eternity because that will remind us of the price he paid so that we can be there in a scarless body. Interesting to think about. We also knew, know from Scripture that Jesus could talk. He could be touched. He could eat food, right? He ate food with his disciples on the beach. He cooked fish and bread for them, and they ate, they ate together. We know that he could be transported from one place to another. Think about the men going to the road to Emmaus, talking to them, and then all of a sudden he disappears, right? We also know that he could appear through closed doors, so that's the kind of body that Jesus had. That's the kind of body we're going to have. And that makes me excited. I can't wait. I have, a, I have a desire to fly. And I can't wait to jump off this altar and just fly and float. In fact, I have many dreams that way where I can just jump and float in the air and that's just the thing that I enjoy doing. I can't wait. The rapture of the church is going to be a glorious event that we should all be longing for because we will finally be free of our sin nature. We'll finally be free from the temptations that hold us down in this world. We'll finally be free from that. We'll be able to enjoy God's presence forever. We will be perfectly restored in our bodies that will never grow old, will never grow tired will never weaken, and will never be sore. Amen? <laughs> How many here that are older get sore? Yeah. And that's no fun, is it? Tim, you're probably sore from mowing and for doing all that stuff. You know, I mean, we just get sore, and when we get in our earthly bo- our heavenly bodies, our eternal bodies, we'll never be sore again. And we'll never be tired again. Are you ready for that? Are you longing for that? All right, now we've describe the process, but what's the purpose of the church being taken out of the world? Why does it have to be taken out? You see, the purpose of the tribulation is what's going to happen as the church is taken out. The purpose of the tribulation is to punish the unrighteous 
Satan, and all those that followed him, and also to purify the nation of Israel. You know, this is where you really have to understand Bible to understand the real purpose of the tribulation because we live in the Americanized version of the Bible and we miss so much of the content and really what the Bible is because we don't have a Jewish mindset. God loves the Jewish people. The nation of Israel is special to him. We're Gentiles. We're grafted in to the body of Christ, but we never replace the nation of Israel. We don't replace that love in God's perspective. God loves us the same, but yet he has a special call on the nation of Israel. So we also know that most of Israel today don't accept Jesus as the Messiah. They're still waiting for their Messiah. Many of them are atheists if, they, and if, if they're not practicing Jewish traditions. So there is a purpose here of the tribulation that is to purify the nation of Israel so that the nation of Israel will call out Jesus as their Messiah. That's the purpose. That's the real purpose of the tribulation. But the church, we, the church, will be snatched up. It will be taken out of this world prior to that tribulation period is our belief. You see, the reason I say that is for a number of reasons. First of all, the church is neither the unrighteous to be judged, nor are we the Jewish nation to be purified. Rather, we're the church, we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, and we can go through the teaching about what Jesus meant by that, by how he went away to prepare a home for us, where he said that I will then come back and take you there where I am, and he is marrying us. We are the bride, and he is the groom, and so, therefore, he takes us away so that we don't have to undergo through the, the time of punishment nor the time of trial. God's intention to have the bride of Christ is not to go through punishment. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we so that whether we are awake or asleep, in other words, are we alive or dead at the rapture, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. You know, I can encourage you to talk about a rapture that is pre-wrath, pre-trib, but how could I encourage you if I'm going to say, we have seven years of God's wrath to go through, so be encouraged. Be encouraged because God's wrath is going to fall in the world and we're going to be a part of it. Yeah, he may separate us, to some believe, but yet we're going to witness it, we're going to see it, and some of those natural calamities are so, so severe and supernatural that it's going to wipe out half the population, a quarter here, a third there. It's going to be absolutely ter- horrific. That's why I teach this to encourage us so that we all stay focused and on course so that we know that God is not going to appoint us to suffer the wrath, or be judged with the evil ones and the rebellious people. Now, I know that we have troubles and persecutions in this world, and many of us in other parts of the world have much more severe persecution than we do. Uh, we have not been persecuted. We are not, tribu- we, we are not in any way, shape, or form, I don't believe, going through any real major troubles. I, I know some friends of mine in India, and Joshua, for example, that has and gone through much more than we are, right? The tribulation will make any suffering here seem like it's a walk in the park. The tribulation will be that severe. That's why we are to be obedient to God's word and his commands, and we are to patiently endure, as John the Revelator instructed the church in Philadelphia in, in Revelation chapter 3, um, in, one of, in one of his seven letters to the church, um, John says this, Revelation 3.10, Since you have kept my command... Since you've been obedient to me, he says, you've kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. There's so much more, I believe, that supports a pre-trib rapture. That's why I believe in it. I don't believe in it just because I hope it. I want it. 
I'm an escapist, even though, I, and it does say, it actually says in other scripture that we are escaping from this world. So that's what the rapture is. Now let's take the next few minutes and talk about the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. This is a totally different event with a totally different purpose than the rapture. The second coming is when Christ returns to defeat the Antichrist, to destroy evil, and establish his millennial kingdom. This is our 14th AG fundamental. And it says the second coming of Christ includes the rapture of the church, which it did, already happened, which is our blessed hope, followed by the visible return of Christ with his saints to reign on earth for 1,000 years. That would make up the second part of the second coming of Christ. See, the, the, the second coming of Christ is really two phases, the rapture and then the second coming. We're talking about the second coming now, the second half of that. The actual second coming of Christ is at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and it is one of judgment of evil with the purpose of establishing the 100,000, the 100, the 1,000-year reign of Christ along with the church that has already been raptured and the tribulation saints as well. Now, I want to read a relatively long passage now in Revelation chapter 19. So if you want to get your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to, write, we're going to read about 10 verses. So beginning at verse 11. John the Revelator says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven... Think of those words. We'll come back to that. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who crowd, cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. The rider on the horse is Jesus. The army is the church. It's us coming back with him. Verse 20, but the beast was captured. The beast is Satan and the Antichrist. The beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image the two of them were thrown in, alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed by the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Do you see a significant difference between the rapture now and the second coming? Do you also see the significant difference on how Jesus came the first time as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes? And now he's coming the second time as a conquering king. He's not coming the second time to be nice. He's coming back as the creator. He's coming back to judge the Satan and the fallen ones that have fallen and followed Satan. He's coming back as a warrior the second time. Did you also notice in that passage that the church that was snatched away or raptured prior to the tribulation is coming back with Jesus? This is why it can't be the same event. Because the rapture, we're being taken away. The second coming, we're coming with him. How can we come with him if we're still here? 
The, tr- the, the rapture has to happen so that the church can be taken. And this is important. See, the, I said in verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him. So some would think, well, the armies in heaven are angels. But angels are never described wearing fine linen, white and clean. Fine linen, white and clean indicates that they were covered in, in, by the blood of Jesus and that they are saints. And that indicates that we, the church, is coming back with Jesus at the second coming to witness his destruction of Satan and the evil that's in the world. The second coming also is visible for all the world to see. Remember, the rapture was secret. The rapture happened instantaneously that no one could see. The second coming will be visible for all the world to see. Zechariah chapter 14 says this, and not only is it visible, but it's going to be very loud. <laughs> it's going to be very obvious that Jesus has come back. Zechariah prophesies this in chapter 14. He says in verse 3, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west forming a great valley and with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Can you imagine the noise that's going to make? You know, you think about earthquakes today. Well, this earthquake is going to split the mountain in half. That's a pretty big event. Verse 5 says, You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel, and you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Who are the holy ones? Us. We're coming back with him at the second coming. Again, we can't come back if we haven't gone. So we have to be present with him now in heaven for the seven years so that we come back with him at the end. As the rapture was instantaneous, the return of Jesus, the second coming, will be a worldwide scene that everyone sees, observes, and in one way or another will participate in. <laughs> You're gonna, the world will be participating now at the second coming. Jackie, would you come please? At the conclusion of all these things, God then establishes the beginning of his millennial reign where the redeemed church will rule with Jesus for a thousand years. Now, boy, that's a whole sermon right there. It's a whole study. I mean, I've just top-lined it, guys. There's so much more to talk about than what we can talk about in 40 minutes. I've just top-lined it. But there's so much more for us to understand. But we will rule with Jesus for a thousand years and he's going to rule that with an iron scepter and a rod and talk about a good government. That's going to be a righteous government. That's going to be a government that is not in no way compromised. It's going to be a godly agenda. It's going to be an awesome time. So as we conclude, we summarize this. The rapture and the second coming are similar, but they're separate. Both involve Jesus returning. Both are end-time events. However, their purposes are totally different in their outcomes. The rapture is the return of Christ in the clouds to remove all believers from the earth before the time of God's wrath. The second coming is the return of Christ to the earth to bring tribulation to an end, to end it, and to defeat the Antichrist and the evil empire. So why is it important that we understand this? Why is it important that we understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming? Well, first of all, this is a foundational teaching that will enable us to understand more about the parables that Jesus teaches in Matthew 25 that we'll talk about later. We need to understand, we need to know this first. We need to understand this so that we don't get confused later. The more we know and understand, the less likely we are to be caught off guard by the deceitfulness of the enemy. You see, we're living in very confusing times. Well, we have a lot of different thoughts coming, a lot of different messages coming to us from the media and all kinds of things, right? We can be very easily confused. But the more that we understand God's word, the less likely is that we're going to be caught off guard. 
we being alive now, we're living, we're living really in the most exciting time of the world. Think of this, guys. As you were appointed to be here in church today, you're appointed to be alive today. You could have lived any time in history. You could have lived and died any time in history, but God, no, he said, I want you to live now in this time because I have something special for you to do in this time. The question is, are you going to accept his challenge? Yes, Lord, I want to do the things in the end times because I want to be valuable. I want to do the things that are building towards the kingdom of God. I'm not here to be the last man standing in America. I'm here to be the first man going in the kingdom. If I'm going to be here, I want to be effective here for the kingdom. I want to be effective for the eternal kingdom. That's why we're here. And here, this is the key point. There's nothing in life that should be more important to us than our relationship with Jesus. There's nothing in this life that should be more important to us than our relationship with Jesus so that we can be ready, so that we can be one of the five wise virgins, that we can be ready to go when he says, I'm coming, I'm coming. When the father says, son, go get your bride. I want to be in that wedding party. Amen? That's the goal. That's why I'm teaching this. So why we have the time today, why we have the opportunity to be sure that our heart and life is right with Jesus, that's the call of the message today. Where are you with Christ? Are you a committed follower of him? What are you doing with Jesus? You, be, you see, because the day is going to come when we're going to stand before God and I can just see him asking the question, what did you do with my son? What did you do with him? Did you believe him? Did you love him? Did you honor him? Did you obey him? Or did you reject against him? Let's pray. Father, I just come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, I know we've talked about a lot of things today. And God, I pray that it was clear and not confusing. But most importantly, I pray, God, that our hearts are tuned into what you would have us to do in the days that we have left. Now, I don't know when that rapture is going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be this year or next year or in my lifetime. I certainly see the signs of the coming of the Lord. I mean, we can see those signs very clearly. And if we can see the signs of the second coming already, that means that we're even closer to the imminent return, the imminent rapture of the church. So God, I pray that my heart would be tuned to that and that I wouldn't allow the enemy to come in and give me false information about, you don't have to be ready. You got lots of time left. Because we don't even know when our last breath is here, Lord. And all that, in all honesty, that could be our rapture. Our last breath of earth is our rapture. Whether it's corporate or if it's personal, it doesn't make any difference. And we don't know when that is either. So God, I pray that we would have a heart hungry for you. So this morning, as your eyes are closed, I just want to give you an opportunity, if you haven't already, do you know Jesus? Is he the king of your life? Is he at the center of your life? If he's not, he wants to be. So this morning, if you, need, if you need to commit your life to the Lord or recommit your life to the Lord, this is a great opportunity to just slip up your hand to the Lord. I'm not going to embarrass you at all. But if I was embarrassing you, you still should do it. It's not about embarrassing anybody or not embarrassing anyone. It's are you answering the call? If you want to make sure, just lift your hand to the Lord and worship him. Say, Father, I'm yours. I see your hands. I see your hands. That's good. Just worship and say, Father, I'm yours. 
And I put all things of this earth down compared to you. And I worship you. And I give you my life today. And I surrender completely to you. Help me, Father, to live this out in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. Father, that is our prayer today. Lord, that we would be prepared, that we would be welcoming you home quickly. Lord, that you would come quickly. And Lord, for those that are unsaved in our lives today, God, I pray that you would just go to them and that we would do our part, God, evangelizing this world while we have time. Lord, that we would do our part being hungry for you, but more importantly, hungry for people. That we would have a burden, God, for people that we just don't go into our mountaintop and wait for you to come back. Know that we are busy We are busy in the kingdom, God, reaping the harvest that is white. God, I pray that you would just give us that hunger for people, that give us that burden for people's lives. God, we long for you. We anticipate our soon coming king where we will see you face to face. Prepare our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to pray, I'm up here for a minute. If you want to just pray, I'd be happy to pray with you. Have a blessed day.